morning, everyone. Uh, today is Resurrection Sunday. Hallelujah. Today we're going to be reading from John 11 verses 1 to 46. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm really excited to get into this. I pray this blesses everyone who hears it. And um, yeah, if we could get into it right away, the first scripture we're going to read is John 11 verses 1 to 46. John 11, um, verses 1 to 46. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, um, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Then Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas who is called the twin said to his disciples, or to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly, I went out, followed, followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Then they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. 
there was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been there for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he has said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot, with grace clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Thank you very much for that, Hannah. So there is the picture. Now, actually, I was actually going to go and show a video, a cartoon video of this taking place, but because um, of the amount of notes and time, I, I, I didn't really get around to it. This, these were the pointers that stood out to me uh, from the very get-go, um, and hopefully we can reach them as we continue to go. Um, in my translation that I'm reading from, from is the Amplified Version, and in verses 1, 2, and 3, each single time, speaking of Lazarus, it says, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus, as we follow the story in the context of the story, is sick enough to die. Um, and one thing that stands out the most, I guess, is Jesus's um, hurry to get to Lazarus. Uh, no pun intended, but I started to begin to look into this because the Lord wanted to just take me into this. And I started to research on the ancient world and how sickness was in the ancient world. And by the way, this isn't a uh, healing teaching, but I wanted to just drop some facts uh, just so that maybe it gives you a understanding that when we read this story, we see Jesus's um, lack thereof of hurrying. And so I guess we kind of grow a bit um, dull to the story of that. This wasn't a extreme situation. So let me just drop some facts for you. So this is ancient sickness. Some of these you may know, some of these you may not. Typhoid. It's caused by a bacteria, Salmonella typhi. It's spread by food and water, contact also with the infected. And this, is, uh, this has been documented as early as the years of 430 and 424 BC. It wiped one third of the population of Athens in ancient Greece. Another familiar one you may know, malaria, documented early as 2700 BC. And it's also apparently the suspected killer of Genghis Khan. Also, it has been documented to have hit Rome and Greece. Another one that actually caught my eye that as I was going through this list and study was smallpox. Now, smallpox origins have been associated with ancient Egypt and ancient India, and the dates go back as far as 3,000 years. Also, the earliest evidence of smallpox came from the mummified remains of Pharaoh Ramses V. His death was in 1157 BC, and it also weakened the great Roman Empire. And just to uh, just a little humor side, uh, this is not uh, the Ramses in the story of Exodus, the one who Moses got in a headlock. That was actually um, Ramses II. 
But the biggest ancient killer, sickness, was the bubonic plague. And its earliest record dates back to the sixth century AD. And to really not list anyone, it hit everyone. The bubonic plague did not discriminate. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, sickness and disease has not only just affected the ancient world, but it's affected the 20th century. And even in our modern 21st century, as we've seen the pandemic and sickness is just, and disease, it takes lives. In conclusion, sickness isn't a joke. However, Jesus says in verse four, and let me just quickly get this for you. In verse four of chapter 11, he turns around and says this. In my version, it says, when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but on the contrary, it is for the glory and honor of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. If I may freely talk about this, I never used to understand this verse, because if you read it in so many different versions, the way I used to read it and my misunderstanding of this was, this won't end in death. But you don't get too long into the story when you find out Lazarus dies. And so this was a great revelation when I was when I was preparing for this, that what the Lord showed me in my in my version, it says. This sickness will not end in death. And it hit me. It's not so much that Lazarus wasn't going to die from the sickness, but the story of Lazarus does not end with death. And I think that when I saw this, the light bulbs come on and it, it, it fitted the context of the story. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus back to life. And what hope it is to be told, because I know this is in context of Lazarus, but what great hope that we can take that death isn't the end, is it? Because the mourners who you see later on in the story are not exactly the, the biggest faith bringers. Um, in the ancient world, an, an Egyptian custom that seeped into um, the Israeli custom was professional lamenting, you know, and uh, People who professionally lamented, they were not giving you much hope. They were actually helping you stay in that, in that, I guess, world of death. But Jesus comes and he kind of flips this narrative of death having the final say. It seems that yet there is a great hope in this saying because death is not the end. Hallelujah. In verse 17, if I just read it to you, let me get to it. So when Jesus arrived, so we know that Jesus, upon hearing the news, um, Jesus has such great concern and love that we find out later on, yet he stays. He stays. Um, this, I think, affects many people. I think young believers and even those who don't believe, they would say, well, if Jesus is all loving, 
And funny, these very things that many people say is actually the very words that people hit him with. They say, well, if you were here, this would not have happened. Um, later on in the story, you find that there are some who are, who are bickering, who are saying, isn't this the one who gave sight to the blind? Surely he could have stopped this from happening. You gotta think about, this is the crowd that you're around. Your brother has died. And this is the mixed crowd you're around. He actually, in fact, not just to kind of honor Martha's faith for a second, that even though that's what the naysayers are saying, she even approaches Jesus and approaches him with faith that he's the answer. In verse 17, it says, so when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. Um, this is not biblical. Um, this is not biblically inspired um, writings, but uh, the Jews um, have their own traditional writings and interpretations, such as the Talmud and the Midrash. Interestingly, this is what the Midrash has to say about the dead or the deceased. According to the Midrash tradition, the soul or spirit hovers over the body for three days. Jesus, however, brings a complete cease to any of that hope uh, when he chooses to arrive a day later. In other words, the hope of the people is killed. Uh, their hope in this superstition that maybe the soul or spirit is still active and is still hovering around the body of Lazarus, that has been completely killed. And I guess this is perhaps a reason or um, why we could assume that the relaxed Jesus arrives at the time that he does. But hallelujah, he is never late. In verse 21, Jesus is first met by Martha in verse 20 to 21. Verse 21 reads, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I was, I was going to kind of share, I'm glad I'm not the Lord, but I, I figured it wouldn't have been, um, it wouldn't have gave it away because Jesus has the answer. But you've got to imagine um, where Martha is at. You know, Martha is looking at him, sees that he's the solution. I mean, if you read other gospel accounts, in fact, Jesus has raised dead people. He's raised dead people before. Could it be, I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to get maybe someone to think here. Could it be that Martha perhaps sees that, are they the exception? Many people in the Christian faith, especially feel they're that person. Am I the exception that God touches other people, but maybe for me, I'm just this special case. And in verse 22, Martha says a very, a very strong statement. She says, but even so, whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. And the next person to speak after that is not Martha, but is Jesus. But notice in, the, in, in 21 and 22, 21 says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even so, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. 
And Jesus, you know, pretty much grants her request before she's even asked it. Because Jesus turns around and in verse 23, Jesus responds to her, your brother will rise from the dead. There's no, uh, there's no mystery here in what Jesus is saying. I mean, because we see the full story. But you can imagine that is Martha taking this? How's Martha taking this? And I think she takes it somewhat the traditional Jewish way. Because what Martha ends up doing is this. Martha looks forward to a future event, a time, a place. Because Martha, her response to Jesus is this. In verse 24, I know that he will rise from the dead in the resurrection on the last day. Yet in very Jesus-like fashion, he brings her hope or her onlooking eyes in alignment with himself. His response, and this is really the, this is the big I am statement in the theme that we've been doing in the recent weeks. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, relies on me as savior, will live even if he dies. And the next verse is kind of the hook, because he says this, and he repeats in a, in a really cool fashion, and everyone who lives and believes in me as savior will never die. Do you believe this? This is the invitation to everyone. Do you believe this? Do you believe what I've spoken? And the, the answer that she meets him back with is, you're the Messiah. You're the one who's come into the world. She, she meets him with a response of, I guess, you could call trust. Or I might throw it out there, the first response, because later on we see another response. But we get to verses 32 and 33, and we're met with Mary sobbing, and the crowd that's following Mary is sobbing. And if we see Jesus as this hard, figure and we don't see him for the loving savior that he is let let verse 35 be that that breaks that hardness jesus wept it's the shortest verse i believe in the bible jesus wept but though jesus wept i want you to focus on verse 33 when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled. And I love his response. Unlike with Martha, he sees Mary and these people and all he says in verse 34 is this, where have you laid him? Jesus is not coming to pay his respects. He's not coming here to mourn with them. He's come as an answer. And Jesus wept. 
the humanity of the Son of God is so special here because he is a human fully like you and I. He can relate to you and I with the pains and the sufferings that, this, that has happened in this world. And I love that heart. Did he have to weep? I know that in my, in my days past, I definitely emphasized his divinity. It's like, he's God. He don't need to cry. He knows the story. But he cries. This fellow brotherhood with humanity, this loving savior, and I'm not saying this is what Jesus thought. I guess I could just make a healthy assumption. Perhaps what was going through his mind was, look at what sinners brought into this world. Death, sorrow, corruption, pain, sickness and suffering. Perhaps Jesus as creator must have had these thoughts that this was never my heart for them. This was never the plan. This was never the way. And so I'm just going to divert from the scripture here and just share with you my week. It's been a jam-packed week, praise God. When I had uh, received the text message from Josh about whether I'd like to do this, this wasn't like, um, it didn't feel like an easy one, you know, the resurrection and the life. It seemed a bit challenging, but praise God, because he's there and it's just for his glory. I found myself during the week finding inspiration. And usually, usually I'm in the word trying to really just like find everything. But this, the Lord took me out into the world. And I was just walking and praise God for the weather. It's been amazing. Um, and not to sound morbid, guys, I found myself walking in a cemetery uh, <laughs> this week. I entered a cemetery. and. I was looking, just seeing what the Lord was going to take me. And I'm looking at all these gravestones. I'm even looking at some of the names, the dates. Um, and this week, especially because it's the Passion Week, because it's the week of that when the Lamb has been slain and Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover, the Lamb of God has been slain. You get to Friday and thank God it's not the end of the story because on the Friday, you feel this weight, this heaviness of the sacrifice that he gave. He gave his life. And so death was kind of a thing, and not, and not in a morbid fashion, but I was seeing the impact of what death is, you know. I even saw a war memorial and all these countless names that were people that God knew, you know, God saw these individuals. To me, they're just names. Sadly, to many, they're just another statistic of war. But God knew these people. God saw these people. And you're, you're reading these names, countless names of those who died. And I, and I remember walking even through the park. And this one's less morbid, but it was um, an acorn tree. And the acorns had fell from the tree and they were on the ground, yet there was acorns that were growing. And it was kind of that bringing me from death to life, this, this how Jesus, remember in the scripture, he talks about how unless, um, I believe he says, unless the wheat falls into the ground and dies, 
nothing new life, new life cannot come unless something dies first. Um, and I was looking at that and I was going, wow, I was like, God really showing me through nature, all these, all these things. <laughs> and um, coming out of the cemetery now, my big question to everyone here was prepared. You ever been to a funeral before? I'm sure many of you have, some of you are older than me. And I'm sure you've, you've known more people than me. Now, I guess I can make this, this judgment, I guess, you guys, I'm guessing, have been to believers' funerals, those who are in Christ, yet have gone to sleep and gone to, been with the, gone to be with the Lord. I can't relate to that. I've never been to a believers' funeral. I guess those who have never been, we have this, we have this idea that everyone's celebrating, clapping, having a great time. Uh, Maria's mother loves funerals, by the way. She, she celebrates, gets her dancing shoes on. It's a motive. Um, I've been to an unbeliever's funeral, however, and uh, perhaps you guys have as well. And I'm wondering, is the atmosphere different? Well, from the one funeral I've been to, <laughs> um, my nan's funeral, um, it, was, it was very different, man, uh, being to, been to an unbeliever's funeral, because I remember, I don't know if it was a pastor or a priest, I'm not too sure who he was, but before the before this funeral thing took took place, he said, "We know that um, Leslie, that was my man's name. We know Leslie didn't want any religious funeral." So I was like, "I, I guess I knew what Nan believed." You know what I mean? Um, before passing, and funerals are, you know, to the unbelievers, scary. It's that very thing that just like many people want to push to the back of their mind, they don't want to think about. Death is that one big obstacle that people don't want to acknowledge it till they may have to confront it. And in, 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 I remember at that time being there, the Lord was just, I guess, now bringing that back to my mind. What were people thinking at the funeral? You know, I can imagine that when people go funerals, because it's human nature after all, some people are adding up the years. She was only five years older than me. Oh no. She was young when she died. Oh no. Here's another one. My mother almost lives by this omen kind of thing. Her mum had passed around about 55. And my mum, I remember being so young. My mum would constantly, 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 every time the, the anniversary of the death would come around. My mum died at 55. I've just got to reach this milestone because if I don't pass this milestone, then, you know, death impacts people. It really has a voice. It really does. And for those who are at funerals, um, what hope do they have if they're not a believer? They don't. Some people try to grin and bear it and meet it with this. Well, we'll just see what we'll just see what's on the other side. But I believe even for those who reject God, that the way they've been created in their conscience, the very thing that they can't even see, 
this 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 god-given thing something tugs there that this is not correct i don't care if it, how people look at death but death is not comfortable for a lot of for i would say for everyone though we though we have a great hope um death i still believe to the human creation the way we were made it was never the design it was never meant to be that way god didn't create man to die but to live and so when you look into this funeral aspect even those who don't even believe god god and i mean god can defend himself but even god catches slack for that you know some people live their entire lives not even believing in god you get to a loved one's funeral and it's like well even if there were a god why did he take my mum sadly even god reaps uh the you know the wrath of people for what reason anyhow, moving on can we get to romans chapter 5 verse 14 please Um, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Thank you very much, Joseph. And this was really the, this is really now, guys, the turning point um, in this whole teaching. Because even when I get to it and just have a little read of this myself, the one thing that we can we can look forward to is this, and I'm talking about humanity in general. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. But though death had ruled and dominated mankind, it has done that up until Jesus. And so I just wanted to read it from my version. And it reads this way, and I, and I, and I love the way it reads. Um, it reads, yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, Christ, who was to come. But in reverse, Adam brought destruction. Christ brought salvation. I love the way that reads. And finally, we arrive this is this is it this is this is where all the 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 words that jesus spoke about where he's coming to meet lazarus um this is really the climax of this story in john 11 in verses 43 to 46 and i'll simply sum it up this way lazarus come forth and this you know josh always josh says this wonderful thing about when i get there to be with the lord if this if there's an event i want to see for me this is one of them because i could only imagine the naysayers those who have lost their hope because he's arrived a day later and those who are sobbing and crying even his disciples and there's that eerie silence as he speaks into that black hole of the tomb that represents death. 
and then all of a sudden this mummified body of Lazarus steps up through the tomb and comes out. I could just only imagine what that was like. I mean, there's miracles that he has done. There are things that I guess, let me be real, you cannot meet this with the carnal mind. You just can't. In fact, all of Jesus's miracles, you cannot meet with the carnal mind. He walks on water. He opens the eyes of the blind. Um, He calms storms with a rebuke. He casts out demons at a word. And he can even raise the dead. Wow. If someone may, can you get for me John chapter 5, verse 25 to 29? And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Thank you, Maria. The words that stuck out to me the most when I was reading this, uh, that the Lord brought to my attention. The time is coming, and the time is now. I never understood it, you know, really. Well, I felt like I understood it because when I had to come and get in depth with this about the resurrection, I mean, for me, um, if someone randomly asked me, what's the resurrection? I probably won't even point you to Jesus's raising from the dead. I will probably think of the last day because that's what the resurrection, I guess, is the first thing that comes to my mind. Yet Jesus is saying that these, that those who are dead will hear my voice. Now, this could be a really in-depth one because um, we see him physically raising the dead. And then I guess you could say in a spiritual way, people who are dead spiritually are coming to life by his words. But then at the same time, there is this... um, There is this almost, it's not a mystery, but it's kind of hard for me to understand. But there is also going to be a day where God raises the dead. Everyone from their graves will come up. Um, And most Jews in that time would be familiar with the resurrection, where God raises the entirety of the dead. Now, this is where I'm going to start shooting off scriptures. So here it goes. Um, Hosea. Chapter 13, verse 14, please. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Thank you so much, Hosea. Can I have Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27? 
For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Thank you, Joshua. And could I have Psalm 49, verses 15, please? But God will ransom myself from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. And could I have Isaiah 26, verse 19, please? Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And the best till last, Daniel, uh, 12 verses 1 to 4. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charged over charge of you people. And there should be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine at the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness are the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, sharp the word and sealed the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Thank you so much for that. Thank you everyone, by the way, for that great reading as well. Just a couple of little fun ones to throw out there from the Old Testament also. I haven't got the verses down to a T, but they're in First and Second Kings, where you also find Elijah, who prays to God and a young boy is raised from the dead, and Elisha, who prays also, and the son of the woman of Shunem raises from the dead. So we see glimpses of actual resurrections. And I believe, if I'm correct, um, there's a, there is also an event that takes place, I think, in 2 Kings, where Elisha's body is in a tomb, or I can't remember if it's Elijah's. I think it's Elisha. And as they're lowering a dead person into Elisha's tomb, the, <laughs> the bones are so anointed, I guess, that it shocks this body back to life. Um, so, yeah, resurrection is not an unfamiliar, uh, is not unfamiliar territory in the Old Testament. It's always been there. And um, the Sadducees have no excuse. That's why they're Sadducee. Um, yeah, well, what was probably most shocking to people was Isaiah 53. And um, Psalm 16, verse 10, when Israel's Messiah or the Holy One would even die, yet rise from the dead. And that to this day um, is like nails on a chalkboard um, to many in Israel. 
But hallelujah, we're drawing to the end. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And I just wanted to read to you this because I wanted to seal it left, right and center. We saw Lazarus get raised from the dead. But now it's time to talk about our Lord, Jesus Christ. So this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you guys want to turn there by yourselves, verses 12 to 19. Just going to get there for you. Here we go. And it reads this. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how is it? that some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, useless, amounting to nothing. And your faith is also vain, imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. We are even discovered to be false witnesses misrepresenting God because we testified concerning him that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusion. You are still in your sins and under the control and penalty of sin then those also who have fallen asleep in christ are lost if we who are abiding in christ have hoped only in this life and this is all there is then we are or we are of all people most miserable and to be pitied strong words and i wanted to continue reading because this is the reality though that paul speaks of but now as things really are, Christ has in fact been raised from the dead and he became the first fruits, that is the first to be resurrected with an incorruptible immortal body, foreshadowing the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in death. For since it was by a man that death came into the world, it is also by a man that the res resurrection of the dead has come. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Praise God. Christ is the pave maker, the way maker. He has made the path before us. This was the tricky thing about coming into this because my, my, my issue was well, I can talk about the resurrection of Jesus and even Lazarus, but then the resurrection itself sounds like it feels like tricky territory. Sometimes you read and certain people um, come to a conclusion that there's two resurrections. And there's a first and a second. What I see from scripture and currently, I guess what I believe is this. Jesus is the first resurrection and his, re his resurrection is unique in this way, because someone might say, yeah, but didn't you just say Elisha and Elijah rose people from the dead in the Old Testament? 
even Lazarus was raised and even other people Jesus raised. How is his any different? His resurrection is unique in this way. He arose with an immortal body. And that is what we look forward towards, a glorified body. We have a 100% guarantee because Christ's resurrection is evidence that sin and death has been dealt with. We were washed clean, made righteous by his blood, his death, right? The resurrection is not so much that by his raising we are righteous, by his blood we have been made righteous, but the resurrection, if you could take it this way, is a huge declaration. It's a receipt, if you will, that we are righteous and that we have been paid for. We have been raised and are born again spiritually as a down payment, yet we await the fullness at either rapture or resurrection to be as he is. Finally, I just want to end it with this. I'm just putting my charger in my computer before it dies. <laughs> Finally, my final scripture that I want to read for you guys is the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 19. Uh, chapter 2, sorry, verses 14 to 15. And it reads this. Therefore, since these, his children, share in flesh and blood, the physical nature of mankind, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin. So that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent, him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And that he might free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in slavery throughout their lives. Glory to God. A big sigh of relief every single person can have in Christ. You don't have to fear no longer, for he has overcome death. And if you are in him, so have you. This is it. It's Resurrection Sunday. He is the resurrection and the life. God bless you.